Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always, uh, except for last week, is my good friend and the pit beat writer for DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Christen. How you doing, brother? Gary, good morning. Back in Chapel, North Carolina. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Pardon me, it's an early morning. Uh, after Pitt lost to UNC and this is a... Uh, safe space let's go and, and make this as best as we can and, and get through it as best as we can today because wow what a collapse last night against the Tar Heels in, in Chapel Hill and look Pitt's four and four and Bill Parcells once said you are what your record says you are and Pitt is a four and four football team and I use that statement when I described Louisville before that game a couple of weeks ago, and Louisville pretty much defined what a three and three team was at the time. Well, I think you could say the same about Pitt being a four and four team now. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I also think that that four and four record is a whole lot less important than their one and three record in conference because that's really what matters at this point, and they're facing. I think probably the best team in the coastal, the North Carolina. And mm-hmm. I, I think they were facing, in my opinion, the front runner for player of the year because uh, there, there was just nothing they could do to even slow down Drake may. He was unbelievable in that game. They, they tried to rip his finger off. It didn't work. They tried, I mean, they tried everything. Um, he, he was a machine. I mean, really, really strong arm, really good with the legs. Uh, he's a freshman. I mean, this is this is going to be a problem for a minute, folks. Well, Pat Narduzzi said it Thursday. He is a first-round quarterback when he comes to the NFL. Drake May, 34-44, 388 yards, five touchdowns. He completed 77% of his passes. He also led the Tar Heels in rushing. 14 carries for 61 yards. Now, Pitt did an okay job in the first half of keeping him relatively contained. And once Kalijah Kansi was ejected for the targeting call, which I agreed with, you had to do it. By rule, you had to do it. You had to eject him. Everything changed. And I'm not saying Pitt lost the game because of that, because obviously they didn't. That was obviously a factor 
into North Carolina, being able to build some momentum for May to escape the pocket a little more and have success with that. But this kid just went out and made plays and, and obviously credit his two stud receivers. I mean, Josh Downs, we know how good he is, probably the best receiver in the ACC. You know, right. 102 yards on 11 catches, two touchdowns. And then Antoine Green, who's had a sneaky good season as well. Uh, you know, 180 yards, 10 catches, two touchdowns. I, I mean, these guys carved pit up. And the way that Pat Narduzzi likes to play defense is he'll put his corners on an island, he'll make them cover man-to-man, one-on-one, and they'll live and die with it. And again, it's just kind of a blend of all of this stuff. Like Carolina's run game didn't really need to be there because there were plays to be had in one-on-ones. There were plays to be had on the sidelines. May was able to break containment in the second half. And the rest is history. And obviously Pitt's offense couldn't match it. You know, I think we're coming down to the point, and we could get more big picture into this later. I think we're getting to the point where the question beckons. Not not only is Pitt good enough to beat two out of the four teams to become bowl eligible, but can they actually outscore two out of the four teams that they have to face to end the season? Yeah, it's getting pretty pretty desperate now uh, i mean you are talking about can they make even like a, a a really bad bowl game and i think that just based on expectations coming into this season it's disappointing at this point no matter what oh it, it hasn't been very many players that have lived up to the hype izzy abandacanda has he just eclipsed the 1000 yard mark last night and I got to be honest, I'm even more impressed with him on this team than I would have been if they had performed the way I thought they would, because he has had next to no passing game whatsoever. Everybody knows what's coming and nobody can stop him. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Problem is they tend to stop him when they have to. (laughs) And that's, that's an issue, you know, and I, I just think that uh, Pitts boxed themselves into a corner. Somebody made a comment last night about Frank Signetti. He looked around at this team and he said to himself, well, we're going to have to run the ball a whole heck of a lot. And he was right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at this team in the passing game and, and really the quarterback play in general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just not good. Keaton Slovis didn't throw any interceptions last night, but he has a propensity to take a sack at the worst time. And it's always a huge sack, 10, 15 yard loss, throws you out of field goal range, doesn't get rid of the ball fast enough, takes abuse even when he does get rid of it. It's troubling. Mm-hmm. Here's where I'll bring up Frank Signetti and uh, with the play calling. You talked about Izzy in the way that he's able to run the football and have success doing so. The issue is North Carolina started selling out on it early. So what what happened was Pitt adjusted and they said, okay, we're going to go play action. If you're going to leave the middle of the defense open, we're going to go play action and we're going to throw it down the field. This is what we kind of been waiting for for, I don't know, seven weeks. Yeah. And they started doing that. And then they kind of went back into it a little bit too much, a little bit too often. So North Carolina kind of stopped selling for it. 
And meanwhile, I mean, Izzy had a gr- another great game. You know, I don't want to, you know, he had another sure. great game. But it came to the point where Carolina was starting to pick up. Okay, they're going to run play action here. You know, we're not going to totally sell out for the run anymore. And then Pitt kept doing it. And, you know, there were the there was a drop by Jared Wayne. There was a drop by Miles Alston. There was, you know, a couple of plays that really didn't convert. And then there were a couple of plays that worked. You know, Wayne caught two 50-yard passes. Bob Means caught the 40-yard bomb to start the game. And we're thinking, okay, here we go. It's, you know, what we've been waiting to see. And then it all went just complete kaput in the second half. None of that was there anymore. And, of course, Mac Brown, credit him, credit Gene Chizik for making adjustments, you know, to, to get used to Izzy, to get used to Slovis and – you know, the rest was history. I mean, the, the offense in the second half was a was a complete and utter 180 from what it was in the first half. Absolutely. I mean, you you just being predictable in, in football, no matter what level you play, you can't do. Mm-hmm. And every time it would get to like second, second two, second one, somewhere in there, you knew a play action was coming and you knew his target was going to be deep down the middle of the field. You knew the route. <laughs> I mean, if you didn't know the player, you knew the route. Mm-hmm. It it was going to happen over and over again. The last time it happened, they were ready, and they just came after Slovis and dropped him for a 10-yard loss, and there was just nothing he could do. They were in his face like right away. I blame him for a lot of sacks he takes, not that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was scheme. That's all there was to it. They got outcoached and outplayed, and I mean, we should take a quick break. But when we come back, I think it's time to address some of these Narduzzi comments, though, man. I, he really put his foot in his mouth, if you ask me. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. And, you know, when your team is one and three in your conference, four and four overall, one of the things you don't expect to hear from your head coach is rhetoric that you are in some form or fashion undefeated. And, uh, Corey, I know this this actually kind of struck you a little bit. So why don't you go ahead and make some comments on that we'll banter about because I it was tone deaf. Well how could you say it? I mean I understand the necessary uh quotient there is to motivate the team, right? I understand there's you're in the pits right now, pun intended. You're uh, entering this week, you are four and three, 
You're in danger of completely being eliminated from conference contention. Your back is against the wall. You're starting to play with a little desperation. I get that there is a quotient to all that, that there is a need to motivate the team. There's all of this. But there's a line. And when Pat Narduzzi says, the team knows, paraphrasing, the team knows how critical another game is. Nobody's beat us. We've beat ourselves. That's been the message. Um, I believe we beat Tennessee if we have a healthy quarterback, which is on par with what he said about the Peach Bowl, by the way. You know, he, you know, if Kenny Pickett's healthy, they win by 21. If Nick Patty's healthy, they still win the game. And then he goes, you know, we've beat ourselves. Nobody has beat us. We're undefeated, really. That's how I look at it. <laughs> I mean, again, I get having to motivate the team, but come on. Like, how do you get the, the perception that how do, how do, I don't even know how to word this. Like, it's so just out there, and it's so just, first off, incorrect and wrong that you're just looked at as, you know, whatever an word idiot. you want to use. An idiot. Whatever <laughs> word you want to use. Yeah, I can I say mean, it because I don't have to go face him. Idiot. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, like, it's just not – it's unnecessary. It's It's all it is is – adding a more stain to the program, which is already stained this year anyway. I mean, you lose to Louisville, you lose to losing to Tennessee at this point. Fine. (laughs) You know, you lose to Louisville, you lose to Georgia tech. I mean, those are the two huge ones. And then you lose to now a top 10 team and now a, a probably top 20 team. Like if you're at this point, six and two, Instead of four and four, with the if you beat Georgia Tech and you beat Louisville, and you say like, yeah, this stuff happened, we could be undefeated, you know, but the two teams we lost to, top twenty, whatever, like that's a little better. But you can't say that when you lose to Georgia Tech and you lose to Louisville, you just can't say it. There are some people that don't know how to handle success, and he had success last year. You know, it's really the first time that everything's come together. Um, Even last year, you know, they lost a game they definitely shouldn't have lost. And it it changed things for them. Took their their finish line and moved it back a little bit. They couldn't go Mm -hmm. to a certain point because of that one loss. We never wanted to acknowledge that because everything else was so good. Well, Pat Narduzzi has not acknowledged that this season has been an utter disappointment. When you return almost everybody from that team, minus a couple really big stars, what we have to acknowledge we're replacing some of those big stars. Like Izzy Abanacanda is not a joke. And it's mm-hmm. not something they had in full force last year. You know, so it it's not one to one, but this team didn't like take a giant hit in talent. They should have been competitive this year. I don't want to blame coaching for crucial fumbles and terrible times and a a transfer quarterback not playing great, but at some point, it's on coaching. Mm -hmm. Well, we got at least one player saying it was a disappointment, and that's the two-time team captain in Deslin Alexander. 
He said it yesterday in the press conference. You know, this the season's been disappointing. There were championship ac- expectations, not just winning the ACC again and the potential to do that, but they thought national championship. They broke. I remember there was a day in training camp where they broke the middle of the huddle after their stretches at midfield, one, two, three national champs. And it's one thing to have the mentality and the mindset, or we're going to have a national championship mindset, yada, yada. It's another to realistically be able to say that. And after Pitt went out last year, did what they did, winning the Coastal, winning the ACC, you bring in Keaton Slovis, who the perception, right? Perception's reality. Preseason perception on Keaton Slovis is that he was a really good quarterback at USC. And with Kenny Pickett now gone, there is the potential for him to slide in and and for him to do similar stuff, you know, under Frank Signetti, who has a track record. He's coached Aaron Rodgers. He's, you know, coached Todd Gurley, a thousand yard rusher in the NFL. He's coached Eli Manning. Like you, you think that there's the potential there for that to be sustained. And it was, it was correct to think so. Nobody's nobody. Hindsight's always 2020. You could sit here on Halloween and say, yeah, why did we ever think that? But at the time, it was completely fair to think that. Let's not be let's not be silly here. Let's not put the cart in front of the horse. Now that we have eight games of football to digest and eight games of football to say, this is what Pitt is, now we can look back and say, relative to the expectation, this season has been a disappointment, and I'll even go as far as to use the word failure. Yeah. For a team that probably if I mean, Miami might be another story as far as disappointments of the Coastal with regards to expectations. Sure. But Pitt was one of the two or three contenders to win the Coastal and to get back to the title game. Obviously, a lot has gone off the rails since then. Keenan Slovis is not Kenny Pickett. And in fact, I'm going to write more about this soon. But maybe it was about Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison after all. It really might have been because I mean, I thought it was a little bit about the the offensive and defensive lines too, and they've largely disappointed as well. Mm-hmm. I think the defensive line less so, but the offensive line they're clearly doing something right in the run game, but in the passing game it just seems like they're Swiss cheese, and sometimes that just comes down to blocking scheme. It's one of the underrated things when you change the offensive coordinators that the blocking scheme tends to change up front. So maybe what they've done is erased the veteran nature of of those players by changing the way they block. It's a zone blocking scheme, and it messes things up for some guys. There's a bit of an element to that, obviously. If you change up the offense, the players have to learn a new system. It doesn't matter how many years you've been, whether it's college football or NFL, how long you've been in it. Learning a new offense is still learning a new offense. I would have given that a pass for about the first month of the season and said, okay, you you should know the offense by now. So I get what you're saying, and there's definitely a little bit of an element to that. But at this point in the season, Marcus Miner, Jake Cradle, Blake Zabovic, Matt Gonsal is the guys that have now been cemented as the starters. Obviously, no Carter Warren anymore. Gabe Hoy was working back from an injury for a while. You're working Branson Taylor in at tackle, who, by the way, got smoked on at least two plays. 
yeah. uh, against Carolina. Got Branson Taylor got absolutely smoked, and it cost Pitt. I think it was an Izzy run, and then a, a Slovis. It, I don't know if it was a Slovis sack, but it, it was you know two tackles for loss, regardless. So, I I think that there's an element to also having. And we mentioned it about a month ago when it happened, but all these pieces rotating in along the offensive line. Now we can't really say that because we know Carter Warren's out for the year. We know Owen Drexel's out long-term. Who knows when he's coming back? We know Blake Zubovic is the right guard. We know Gabe Hoy is the right tackle. We know Marcus Miner is the left guard. Like we know what Pitt Pitt is going to have on the offensive line every week by this point. Yeah. So if, if, you know, the run blocking has been fine, obviously, with Izzy going off the way he has. But the pass blocking and the way that you talked about the zone, the zone running, I mean, the zone schemes and RPOs and learning all that, there, there's a factor to that. And that comes back to coaching at the end of the day. You know, the, these coaches have to get these players into it. And these coaches have to get these players versed and they have to smarten them up on what they need to be doing. And it just hasn't been there. I mean, the lapses have, have still been there in the pass blocking from the offensive line, no doubt. Right. And a team that struggled really to find anybody interested in catching a lot of footballs has still woefully underused their tight ends. I mean, they still refuse to, uh, to throw passes in the intermediate zone, like in the 10 to 15 yard range. Mm-hmm. Unless they're quick outs, I mean, there's just a lot to be desired about the offense. Big changes are coming just because of graduations, but you have to think big changes might need to come beyond that, and we'll see. I have a problem with how Gavin Bartholomew is being used. As do I, I. I really do. Like, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get mad over it. Mad this goes all the way of- back to preseason for me. You know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get mad in the sense of why and, it's, and it coincides with your point about using the middle of the field. Why is Pitt not using Gavin Bartholomew? They're using him. I think it's less than they did last year. And he was the, the tight end number two in the offense. Right. And again, Mark Whipple versus Frank Signetti. There's Gavin has to get the ball. I, I mean, not for nothing. He's probably your second best receiver behind behind Jared Wayne. I mean, Mumfield's fine. He, he's kind of disappointed me to a point, has Mumfield. But it's not because Gavin Bartholomew's not talented. They're just not getting him the damn football. I'm starting to, I'm starting to have an issue with it. I think, he, I think he was only targeted, I want to say it was three times against North Carolina, and I might be, I might be over, actually, on that. I mean, this is a kid that is – Huge. He's athletic. He he can get down the field. He can moss people. We saw the hurdle touchdown against Tennessee, the athleticism. Where's the targets for Gavin Bartholomew? I mean, I don't think it's that hard of an ask, to be honest with you. I really I, don't. It's borderline insane to not use him. Mm-hmm. I just when you are struggling as hard as you are to get an offensive threat in the passing game, I got two questions for you. Why aren't you using Gavin Bartholomew? And and really, why aren't you using the running backs more? Like, they're talented. You want to get the ball in their hands in, in open space. They, they need to be on the field more often. 
running routes. I mean, I'm not saying like you want to put Izzy in danger and you want to use him in the backfield and everything, but you've got other options too. Hit Flemister on a swing every once in a while. Like start integrating your talent where you know you have it into the offense to fit what you can do. I'm just saying, like, I'm not an offensive coordinator. I just look at where the talent is stacked up on this team, and half of it rides the pine all game. You have to play to the strengths of your team. You have to play to your best players. You have to get the playmakers the ball. They haven't done this with Gavin Bartholomew. I mean, it's it's been a complete and utter failure in terms of managing Gavin Bartholomew and, and letting him run wild in this offense. I mean, the potential for him to have an all-ACC caliber season was 100% a a realistic thing. I I mean, I looked at Gavin Bartholomew in the preseason as one of the best tight ends in this conference. I still think he's one of the best tight ends in this conference from a talent standpoint. From a usage standpoint, you would think he's just, you know, some third off, you know, some sixth offensive lineman they put in there, you know, the block and stuff. I, I mean, it really is just shocking in every sense of the word on how little Gavin Bartholomew is a part of this offense and they need him. You know, this isn't like, well, we, we got, you know, a Josh Downs and an Antoine green. So we're not throwing to Gavin. They need Gavin Bartholomew in every sense of that word. It's just so it's at this point, some of Pitt's problems, at least in my eyes are so simple and it's so frustrating, and I can see where the frustrations where the, from where the fans are must lie. Because some of this stuff seems so conventional and so simple, and Pitt refuses to do it. Like a using a Gavin Bartholomew. Like a more play action, which we finally got to see against UNC. Like a more stretching it down the middle of the field. I get it. And, and in some cases, it's hurt Pitt this year. It really has. I mean... It's a shame. You know, a lot of the, the performers on defense aren't going to be back. And, you know, Svassier Dennis, I think, has really played just as well as he always has. Deslin Alexander still looks good. Kalijah Cansey. Cansey's looked good. Uh, I've really liked the emergence of Bengali Kamara. You know, it, it, there's a lot of makings of a decent defense. Devonshire, I think, has been pretty good. It's yeah. Baldonado. When you look at that defense, it's got a lot of good stars on it, a lot of good players. John Morgan, even in spots, has been pretty sick. They're not underutilizing him, if you ask me. A quick point on the defense. I think there's been some underperformers, though. I expected more out of Baldonado this year. And when we walked to the press conference, we had to go through the tunnel where Pitt came out of. We had to go back down to the field and do that. And yeah. Baldonado just kind of sat, I tweeted a picture of him. He just kind of sat there and stared at, at the field and just took a moment. I don't know if that was a self-reflection. I don't know if that was a, what the hell is my team doing? I don't know what that was. I didn't really ask him. I just kind of let him go. But he looked pretty dejected after that game. Uh, Bengali Kamara did not have a great game against Carolina. Uh, in fact, Tyler Wiltz started over him. So I don't want to call it the devotion. But, and then your corners... You know, Marquez Williams, A.J. Woods, you leave them on islands against those two great receivers from Carolina. Devonshire ran backwards on a punt again. Uh, I mean, Eric Hallett made a couple of misplays. You know, 
there were plays left out on the field by the defense. I don't want to give them a pass, and I think sometimes we do because of the talent they have on it. Kansas had a great Certainly. season, but you can't get target. You get you can't get ejected for targeting when Drake Bay's sliding. You just can't do it. Yeah, I mean it's the ultimate it's the ultimate slap in the face to a coach. But there's been more than one game this year where you kind of felt in the fourth quarter that everyone quit. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to to, to pin that on anybody in particular. You just well, see the effort kind of erode a little bit as you start getting towards the end. And we well, do got to take another break, but yeah, we better turn it around because we got another ranked team coming to Pittsburgh next week. Gross. All right, let's take a quick break and let's come back and let's uh, keep talking football, but maybe a different football. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you, and we are going to talk football, but not the men's football team. We're going to talk about women's soccer because Corey, for the first time in 10 years, Pitt women's soccer is back in the dance. They have made the playoffs. They're taking on the uh, Fighting Irish, the number four ranked Fighting Irish tonight at six o'clock. Sunday, we should say we're recording this whenever this goes up. And uh, they've had a pretty good season. This is a good bounce back season for for this program. And uh, if you have any notes on that, I'd be happy to listen to them and I'll throw in some stuff as well. Yeah, sure has. I mean, Pitt this year, 5-3-2 within the ACC. They're 12-4-2 overall. You know, they finished sixth as the sixth seed, rather, in the conference. And from an offensive standpoint, I mean, fifth in the league in goal goal differential at 1.53. They've scored almost two and a half goals per game. They're allowing just under one per game. The offense has been there. It's been electrifying. And look, I think that Pitt's fall sports in a general scope, I think this is a good example of it, of programs like women's volleyball, who is probably the best thing going right now on campus as far right. as, as programs go. I mean, we're talking about a legit national championship contender. We're talking we will about, talk about it soon, we promise. We'll get there, absolutely. We're talking about men's soccer, who's had a solid season. We're talking about now getting into the wrestling season, which obviously Pitt's wrestling program is is up here. It's next level. So it's it's really been a solid year in the fall sports calendar for Pitt. Now, against Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame's the four seed. Pitt beat them earlier in the year in South Bend. Uh, Notre Dame was 17th in the country at the time. Pitt a 3-1 winner in South Bend. That was on September 25th. Pitt has played top-level competition close at some points and not so close at some points. I'm looking at back-to-backs against North Carolina and Duke. Uh, Carolina, number five in the country at the time. Pitt lost to them 4-0. Duke, number seven in the country. They went right back and played them three days later, it was a one nothing loss. And both of those games were, I guess, down here in North Carolina. So, I mean, throughout the season, you know, Pitt obviously beat up on the non-conference schedule, right? They, yeah, I mean, sure. they go 7-1-0 in, in non-conference. So, 
you know, they're solid there. They're seven, one and one at home, by the way, which is awesome to see. And, you know, there's a lot to like about what this team has done, um, you know, over the season, obviously Landy Mertz, they're, they're leading, basically they're leading offensive player shots on goal there. She's third of the country or third of the country, third of the ACC, pardon me. Um, you know, Sarah Skupanski, one of the top assist leaders in the conference and about one of the top assist leaders in the conference. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to like about this team in terms of just the way that they've been able to grow and develop as well. And and in this ACC, which for my money, one of the better soccer conferences in the in the country. And I'm not just saying that. I, I know a little bit about a little bit about college soccer <laughs> from my time at not just Syracuse, but obviously Youngstown State and going to school there and covering those teams a little bit. But this is a really deep ACC as well. Carolina, Florida State tied for the one seed at eight and two. Notre Dame right behind them at seven, two and one. <clears throat> Virginia and Duke right behind them at six, two and two. And then Pitt. I mean, this was a tight ACC. So this should be a good tournament. Obviously, when the whenever the podcast drops, it might be after the Notre Dame game. But, you know, in the general sense of the ACC tournament, it's going to be a really competitive one. Yeah. And the reason we wanted to talk about this, regardless of whether we came out before the game or not, it's it's a pretty big deal for them to make it. They haven't made this tournament since they've been in the ACC. The last time they were in championship play was against the Big East. You know, um, so it's been a minute. And I think this year in particular, the, the big jump the team's taken really has – I give most of the credit to Katie Zielinski. I mean, the, the freshman has come in, and she's ranked in the top 100 in the country. I think 26th right, is where she's at for um, the top uh, freshman scorers right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've really, really – had good goaltending too for for a while. I think uh, I've, oh, she just got her twentieth win. I can't remember her name, unfortunately. That's okay. But pretty exciting stuff going on with Pitt soccer, um, women's soccer in particular, and it's exciting to see. You know, the World Cup's going to be around this year. There should be some more eyes on sports like this. Um, a lot of players on these teams you you'll find winding up on the women's national team at some point and that's exciting to uh to watch because those teams are constantly in competition and it's a lot of fun to see it develop from this level oh the potential for it absolutely um katie Zelinsky, by the way i mean four points on the season she's got you know in terms of scoring like Pitt's starting to build this program up with some of these elite goal scorers. And, you know, you mentioned the the defense as well. You know, they've been able to – that goal differential is is massive. You know, one and a half goal differential per game. You know, they've done a fair job this season. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the tournament. I mean, when you got – when you're outscoring your opponents 43 to 16, you know, you're kind of doing something right. So, you yeah. know, obviously we'll see uh, – and, and by the way, you were talking about Caitlin Lazzarini. Uh, when it comes to yeah, there you go. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. When it comes to goalkeeping, I mean, a, a point nine two goals against average. She's twelve four and two on the season, six shutouts. I mean, she's had a great year as well in the net. So we'll see what happens. And best of luck, obviously, to the uh, to the Panthers in the tournament. I know uh, Randy Waldrum. He's been here for five years now as the coach. Started out nine twenty two and four in the first two years of of a rebuild here, and now they are forty three thirty eight and six under his leadership. 
you you have to say that Heather Lake has done a really good job of hiring um, coaches. I would say overall since she's been here, I think she's especially for a lot of these fall sports and uh, even the spring sports like baseball. She's done a really good job of finding talent, bringing it in, and sticking with it, and letting the process play out. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do when you're not one of the blue chip schools in these um, sports, you have to let them build and and really be patient with it. And I think it's been pretty impressive to watch some of these programs turn around. Like you were talking about wrestling and volleyball, they're, they're mm-hmm. perennial now at this mm-hmm. point, and and they're just feeding the system over and over again. And you'd like to see the soccer team get to the same place. So pretty exciting to see. And good for them. And uh, you know, I hope, hope everything goes well tonight and they, they end up pulling it out. What better way to end the show? I mean, we pretty much should just say hell to pit, right? <laughs> hell to pit. We had to end on a positive note. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Till next week, everybody.